grave danger? Is there another kind? You see, the useful idiots that the Soviet Union, that Lenin put into America, are now the useful idiots from the Chinese. U.S. President Joe Biden, who has had another week of gaffes, confused moments. Uh, uh, They're coming down on America like Pac-Man, eating us up alive. Uh, uh, They're acting more as propagandists. Also, the science has changed. You know the Pac-Man game? Think of a Pac-Man game out of control. Sucking away at the foundation of America. If Russia pursues its aggression, it will face the massive consequences that... Because if they don't want you to believe something and they can cast doubt... We have no intention of fighting Russia. Sometimes confusion can actually be the goal. The goal. The goal. And as we've said all along... Confusion can actually be the goal. joined this time up on Speaking Out America, a man who has a lot of tales to tell, but this one with a great sense of urgency. Jonathan uh, Feldstein, he is the, did I get that right, Feldstein? Uh, I want to make sure. Yes, it is. That's right. Thank you. Uh, He is the author and founder of Genesis 123 Foundation, which is a way of bridging uh, Jews with Christians in Israel. And we'll get into all that. But right now, I just want to ask the most important question. The elephant in the room is, how are you doing? And are you in the north part of Israel or in the south? And what's the situation right now? Well, you're, thank you for asking, and thank you for that really generous introduction. Um, you're catching me in Jerusalem at the moment, but I live just a drop south of Jerusalem in the Judean mountains. Um, yeah, and the, the, the stock answer to your question the last 60 days as to how I'm doing is no worse off than anyone else until yesterday when I'm a little worse off than a lot of people because yesterday my son, who's a combat reservist, went into Gaza. And that's a little um, yeah. unnerving on a whole lot of levels. Yeah. And you have two sons that are in the IDF, according to what I hear. I have a son a son and a son-in-law. Oh, um, and my son-in-law is, yeah, he's married to my oldest daughter and father of three delicious grandchildren. And um, he's home and now. He got one of the nice things about having a small country is that the front line is uh, not a 12-hour plane plane ride away. So he's able to come home once in a while for a night or two nights and then be with his family and then go back to to service. Um, But it's still stressful. I mean, I I could spend an hour talking to you just about the stresses in the family. That's that's a normal thing. And, And as I said, we're no worse off than anyone else. Well, I have a couple of acquaintances, and uh, of course, uh, you're in the hot zone. And uh, I mean, we could talk for an hour, two hours about it. Um, are they? Is is uh, Hezbollah to the north, Lebanon? Has that quieted down, or is there still some worry about what's happening <laughs> um, there? I know that it, about ten minutes ago, there was a barrage of rockets that came in from the north. Uh, we, we I have an app on my phone called Red Alert, and I deliberately let it annoy me every day, uh, multiple times a day still. It's still rockets. Somehow they're complaining about not having food and fuel and, and medical supplies in Gaza, but they sure as heck still have enough rockets. And uh, Hezbollah has... An, I was speaking to my daughter's boyfriend, who's stationed in the north uh, today, and um, it's still a, it's, it's astounding that Hezbollah has not just rockets, but what an estimated, and it's probably a low estimate, of 150,000 um, long-range pre- precision missiles that can target my my bedroom window if they want. Yeah. And, and uh, in electricity, all of that staying on pretty much? Do you ever have 
blackouts or rollouts or anything like that? Any energy supplies being disrupted? No, we no. First of all, thank God Israel's a very modern, developed country, and we've not had any power outages. Um, there's definitely been, I know it's used in a different context in America, supply chain issues. We have, uh, you, if you think about it, on the beginning, the day of the war began on October 7th, was the day that massacre took place, 300,000 soldiers were called up into reserves and 360,000 showed up for reserves. So we're looking at about 15% of the workforce, 5% of the population. And that's quite significant, um, quite significant. So you don't have, pe- you have people who are not working. Um, we have prices that are going up because supply and demand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, you know, it's just normal, normal, the, the, the realities of, of, uh, of life. And uh, we've not had any, any um, in, in interruptions vis-a-vis, to, uh, unfortunately, far too normal a life. That I, that I could have yeah. spent the whole day in Jerusalem today without my phone on and not have known that there was a war going on. Man, wow. Uh, do you see much of what the West is, is portraying it, particularly the American media? And do you think it's what their portrayal of what's happening is fair and equal? Or do you think it's cited in one way? How much do you know about the way that things are being portrayed over here? Yeah, I do follow that. It's not just the U.S. It's actually worse in in, in Europe, especially in the U.K. I mean, they're they're like uh, they're like Nazi propagandists in in the U.K. Um, there's a there's a great meme going around the, with a with a mother pointing at her child saying, "If you keep lying, you're going to end up becoming a BBC journalist." Um, and there's truth to that, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah, unfortunately. I'm I'm following what's going on. I'm 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 a dual American Israeli citizen. I've lived I lived most of my life in America through university, started my family there. I'm only here in Israel just under 20 years. Um, but of course I'm seeing it. And, and I would say at best, the media is, is, is becoming some sort of contortionist uh, to, to try to be balanced, but without any sense of perspective or reality and equating uh, the, the, the Still, the, the the massacre, the war, the the genocide that was attempted, and still is the goal of Hamas and other Islamic Arab terrorist organ, and not just Arab, but the Persians as well, Iranians. Yeah, um, the, these are their goals, and somehow the media conflates that with our response or proportionality or um, poor suffering Palestinians. I wrote an article about that in Town Hall recently called who are the innocent Palestinians to really do a deep dive into what do they believe? I read that um, article. I was very are, impressed. Yeah. That uh, was, yeah. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you. So, so the media is naive at best. And I think far too often has a, a real strict uh, bias against Israel. Well, there's this thing about the two uh, state solution that keeps being bantered about. And the problem with that is that, the Palestinians don't want a two-state. They want eventually a one-state. They'll, if you give them a two-state, yeah, they'll take it. But what do they do with it? They, uh, they, they, you know, their their government is Hamas, a terrorist group. It would be the equivalent of well, if Nazis ran, you know, uh, the White House. I mean, it's, you know, oh, it would be equivalent of the Nazis saying we just want the Sudetenland, 
And yeah. then and then we saw what happened from that. And yeah, you're 100 percent right. Unfortunately, there's no party in the rep. There's no party. And I don't mean political party, no entity within what, what are known as Palestinian Arabs who actually want peace, who want to live side by side in prosperity. Gaza, you know, think about it. Israel withdrew not just all communities and all military presence, but even disinterred bodies and reburied them in Israeli cemeteries in 2005, and Hamas blew it up. And I don't use that, I use that term literally. They had the ability in 2005 to become Singapore, to become a hugely prosperous entity. And I don't say state, but then Hamas took over. And now people banter around this very tired notion of two states, but there's not even an option for two states. What are they? There's two states, the, the Hamas and the Palestinian PLO are at, 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 at war. They had their own bloody revolution where Hamas showed them what, what was business and threw PLO leaders off the tops of buildings in 2007 when they took over Gaza. So, so who, who's going to control this Palestinian state? And unfortunately, when, when you hear that coming from the White House, when you hear it coming from anybody, not that we don't want peace in Israel, of course we do, and there's still many people, despite what's happened recently, who would go for two states. But it's not a solution anymore, no, no. If, if it ever was. It can't be. We can't give over territory that you're, that you're within nine miles of the coastline of Israel, and they would have the ability to produce and shoot rockets. Um, forget rockets. You don't even need a rocket. You need an anti-tank missile, and boom, you hit an apartment building at night and, uh, and done, or, or a kindergarten in the day. And, and, and you're done. No, that can't ever happen. And what we need, and it's a, I think it's a different article, or maybe it was that same article that, I, that you read, um, we need a real solution. I'm not, dis, I'm not dismissing the reality that we have about 5 million people who call themselves Palestinian Arabs. I don't want them to be Israeli citizens. I, don't want, I, I, want, I want them to live peacefully and in prosperity and, and, and get along with us without threatening us. I don't want them. I don't trust them. And I don't ever see a point in my lifetime that we ever can see a Palestinian state that won't end up becoming, by definition, another terrorist entity that will threaten the existence of the state of Israel. I think the point that you make in your article is that at some point they, they need to give up this fight and their lives will vastly improve if they do it. And Israel is a model democracy. In fact, it's the only model democracy where you allow plurality. You actually allow plurality in Jerusalem and, and Israel. And that's, that's such an important aspect. That's, I think, kind of leads into our next conversation, which is the Genesis one two three Foundation. And I want to do that, but we do have to take a, a quick break. But before we go to the break, I want to give out your web address in case people have to go. Uh, you can find out about Genesis one two three, and we'll get into it if you can hang on with us. Uh, Jonathan is with us, Jonathan Feldstein, and he is the founder of this organization that bridges Jews and Christians in, in, in social programs, and we'll get into that in just a minute. Uh, but uh, you are safe for the time being, and, and our prayers are with you. So can you hang on for another segment? Absolutely. Okay, great. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to Speaking Out America. Jonathan Feldstein, my guest. Be right back.
And we're back with Jonathan Feldstein, a writer. You've seen his work. He is also the founder of Genesis 123. Tell us about this organization that you put together and, and its aims and its goals. Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, so I've been a nonprofit for, for probably 35 years, and most of that, um, it's really a calling. And I, and I in a, another time, can go into the whole story about how I, where I was and how God called me to be a bridge between Jews and Christians. It's actually the very first time that I went into a church um, in the late 80s um, in Cleveland, Tennessee. I'll just leave that as a cliffhanger. Um, but I realized that God called me to do this sacred task of building bridges. I didn't understand what that meant. And then I went to work after coming here. I've been a nonprofit for a lot of years. And I, after coming to Israel in 2004, there were a lot of organizations that wanted to snatch me up to raise money from Christians, but really not to build relationships. And, and, and unfortunately, I dealt with a lot of lack of integrity, um, things that were not good and that, that caused me to lose sleep at night because I can't just become a person who's swiping credit cards and, as I refer to it, objectifying Christians as a faith-based ATM. So I started the Genesis 123-2017 to build genuine bridges, relationships between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel. And we try to do things that are new, that are unique and meaningful, and not and not compete or, or, or replicate uh, what other people are doing, um, but all about relation. And what that means is not, that not everything is or can or should be about the one main way that Christians are prompted to bless Israel through financial donations. That's a solid way, and we need that. We're a nonprofit. It's not something to be shy about, but it can't only be about that. So we, we created a whole lot of programs. Um, I can just bullet out a couple real quick. Yeah. The first was Run for Zion, which is the uh, first Christian program around the Jerusalem Marathon. If you, were, if you were with me today in this penthouse apartment that I'm borrowing from my neighbor uh, along Jaffa Street, you'd be on the road on the on the path of the Jerusalem Marathon, and we've had the last couple of years, except during the pandemic, uh, Christians coming and participating as Christians with the Christian experience that we built up. Um, I'm the only. I, I, I by the way love you as a host, and I say that as a podcast host myself. Where I'm the only Orthodox Jew hosting a podcast called Inspiration from Zion, um, out of 300 other podcast hosts on the Charisma Podcast Network. So I love doing that. Yeah. We've established various prayer events around the world, engaging Christians in every continent except Antarctica through prayer. Prayer is not something that you can monetize, and it's something that we Jews and Christians both get our arms around. Um, we've published a brand new book that actually is supposed to arrive today at the distribution center in Tulsa called Israel the Miracle. It's stunning. Anyone can go to our website and check it out or, or, um, or go to IsraelTheMiracle.com. It's essays by 75 Christian leaders from all over the world about why Israel is, is significant to them and therefore should be to other Christians. And it's published as a coffee table book, and it's breathtakingly beautiful, and it's more important now that the war is, is in its midst than it was even before when it was when it was actually printed in September, weeks before the war began. And then since the war, we've launched an Israel emergency campaign uh, where we're making impact with integrity. We have launched a campaign, uh, very, very important, to have people sign a petition. It's on our website at genesis123.co to help help give Israel the backing to continue the military operation and free all the hostages despite the pressure that's coming from around the world. And just engaging people. Uh, I'm, I'm blessed to be doing 
dozens of interviews like this, and you alluded to my articles, I, I can't even count how many I've written, because while my son is serving in Gaza, I'm a little too old for that. Um, so I've adopted the, the slogan that my words are my weapon, and that's mm-hmm. what I'm doing. And uh, we always invite people and churches to join us and, and be part of what we're doing, building bridges. I am I'm curious to know what were some of the er- early challenges you faced in trying to bridge these gaps, because while I think, uh, you know, oftentimes you could say that Christians would be the right hand and maybe the Jews or Hebrew, uh, uh, the Jewish faith would be the left hand, uh, and they and they work in conjunction pretty well, and this goes all the way back to even when Jesus was walking uh, and trying to bridge people together, whether it was the Sumerians and the Judeans and all but what are the inert challenges that you faced from both sides? It's a great question. So first, from the Jewish side, we have centuries of inbred distrust of Christians and Christianity because the history of the Church, I say it in quotes, yeah. not the Church that you're familiar with, but the Church was anti-Semitic, was, was, was rapidly dangerous for Jews. And I was speaking to my, my uh, daughter's uh, boyfriend today who does, who's Israeli born, uh, three, three, four generations Israeli, really doesn't know Christians and Christianity. He was asking me about it. And I was explaining how the Christians of, Christians, quote unquote, of Nazi Germany were very different than Christians today and uh, who, who are evangelicals and who love Israel. It's a completely different theology. Um, but I get a lot of push. I still get a lot of pushback from Jewish friends. I get a lot of distrust. I've, I've, suffered a lot of um, hostility from Jews who say that, uh, that, that Christians have an agenda to bring us, you know, all of them. No, of course. We, we have to come back to Israel in order for Jesus to come back and for Armageddon to take place and blah, blah, and everyone's trying to convert us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know what? Well, let's talk about the things that are, that are in common. And, and from the flip side, you know, uh, Christians are very gracious to me, uh, very, very gracious. And I, I get, Pushback. I, I'm honest theologically what I believe and the differences, but I tend I tend to try to build upon the things that we have foundations. And when we talk about that, even a Christian who doesn't necessarily see the significance of Israel prophetically yet, but then when you talk about it, you, oh, wait a minute, looking out the window where I am, you see God's fingerprints on everything because this is the only place in the world that you can actually see prophecy fulfilled. And, and, and we know that. And I, I won't say who, but a very major Christian leader that I had a conversation with maybe a decade ago said, how did you become this, this Christian leader that you are, the Christian Zionist leader? And he said to me, well, I remember when the day Israel was born and my father pointed to the Bible and said, Israel's rebirth proves that the Bible is true. So, so I think a lot of Christians don't understand that completely. Yeah, and and still, there's still elements of replacement theology in the church that we have to talk about and get beyond. But the grace that I have been shown, um, speaking in churches, speaking at conferences, evangelical, largely although not exclusively, evangelical conferences, the media that I get to do, um, it's not because I'm so great. I know that. It's yeah. the grace because I represent the Jewish people, um, but there are, there are bumps in the road, and, and I'm okay having those conversations even on things that we disagree about in order to underscore and build upon the things that we agree on because that's really far more important. 
I would say that the Christians and Jews have a lot more in common than they even realize historically. And uh, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from how the Jews were persecuted for so long for carrying their, yeah. those singular monotheistic truths forward down through thousands, literally thousands of years they were willing to be persecuted to hold on to that singular faith. So, uh, you know, I, from a historical and a spiritual perspective, do appreciate, you know, the, the Jewish faith to a tremendous degree. And I am so sorry that we're out of time. We can't talk anymore because we've got a clock we got to follow. And, but Jonathan, it sure has <laughs> been a pleasure to, to speak with you. And I hope that we can have another conversation real soon. Once again, the website is Genesis, I would love that. Yeah, Genesis123.co, not com, but co. Thank you again, sir. God bless and be safe, okay? Thank you. God bless you.